So have you ever forged something? Ever, ever forged something? <laughs> Some of you get nervous. <gasps> How do you know? Uh, I, I don't mean forging a permission slip, you know, to the school so that you can be the guest DJ for, you know, the homecoming game, okay? That's, that's, that's not the forging I'm talking about. I'm talking about forging a friendship. I'm talking about the, the possibilities of being in a relationship with someone in such a way that, that you're forging a friendship because after all, friends don't let friends do stupid things alone, right? We do them together, do them together. I came across some interesting brief little thoughts on friendships that some people had shared. Um, Caroline's friend showed up one day and she had body armor and some cut out cardboard swords. And she said, we're gonna put these on and run across our college campus and just laugh hysterically. And, And that's what they did. Incidentally, that sounds a little bit like our staff meetings here at church. It's, it's pretty close to, to looking like that. Uh, Courtney's friend never calls. She just shows up randomly at the house, and she says, I'm taking the kids so that you can have a break. Now, that's a friend right there, right? Now, Rick and his friend are both trying to lose weight, and his friend will text him at random times and say, put the ice cream down and go work out, right? That's, that's good friendship. Uh, Linda grew up. She was one of six kids. Um, her mom had a, had a time trying to take care of those six kids, and they had a neighbor next door. Uh, her name was, I keep saying her name right, her name was Berla. Never heard of a Berla, uh, but Berla was their next-door neighbor. She became a friend of the family and, and helped out with the kids in a lot of different ways. Among the things that Berla taught the kids how to do was to play the card game Cribbage. And this was one of her tips for playing cribbage. She said this, there is a perfect strategy for every hand dealt. Now, that's not just a good tip for cribbage, right? That's that's a good tip for life. We continue our series, Doors, today, where we look at some of the most defining doors that we face every day in life. And today's message is Forged Doors. We'll be looking in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. And, and what we'll find there is the Apostle Paul is going to give us one of the most perfect strategies for dealing with any hand that we are dealt with in life. Okay? One of the most perfect strategies we can use for any hand that we're dealt with in life. And part of that strategy involves forging something. So let's see what that strategy is. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 14, Paul writes, In addition to all these things, put on love. Well, all what things? What's what's Paul talking about? Well, right before this, Paul was giving some wardrobe advice. He was pointing out the types of things that Christians should wear, the kind of clothes that we should put on as believers. And what kind of clothes are those? Well, he tells us, verse 12, Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, all the easy stuff. That's that's what he gives us. These are the the types of clothes that we're supposed to be wearing as believers. Now let's just fly over these just for a moment, each one individually. He says compassion. This is being the kind of person that pays attention to people who are hurting. And helps people who have pain and are, who are experiencing difficulty. A compassionate person does that. Second, he says kindness. This means that the longer you're a Christian, the harder you work 
at not being critical, at not criticizing, at not being mean, and not being harsh. That's part of what it means to grow in our relationship with Jesus, this picture of kindness. Next, he says humility. Generally speaking, this just means a a way to defer to other people. Like, it's a habit of yours, you know, to to give that chair to that person or to give the last cookie to that person or or whatever it may be. It's It's a habit to defer to others, humility. Next, he says gentleness. This just means you're not going to manipulate people to get your way. You're just going to be gentle and and kind. You're not going to be manipulative trying to have things the way you want them to be. And then last, he says patience. This just means that you're going to respond to weaknesses and sin in the lives of other people first with enduring, meaning long suffering you're you're going to respond with patience first instead of responding with attacking first you're going to be patient long suffering you're you're going to endure you're you're going to give some room for god to work before you lose your mind over whatever's happening now all of these are things that paul says that believers need to be putting on and notice that each one of these things are relationship oriented These are the the types of things that we would use if we're forging relationships with other people. Paul says, look, none of us are are perfect in relationships, but but these are the types of clothes we should be putting on. These are the things that should be seen in our lives. So just a, a quick little survey for our own individual hearts and minds. When you look at your track record, when you look at the last week, when you look at the things you are facing this week, just just a little breakdown. Consider for your own heart, are these things being seen in your life? Listen to them again. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Are those things being seen in our lives? And then Paul says, in addition to all of those things, he says there's one item of clothing that that is singled out. There's one item of clothing that you must put on. Look what he says in verse 14 again. In addition to all these things, put on love. He separates love from the rest of the clothes. You can have the most magnificent closet that you've ever seen in the world, and it can be full of clothes, but there's going to be one unique spot for love. That's, That's what Paul is trying to say. He's saying love is not just something that you put on. It's not just in the list of things you put on. It is the thing you put on. It is the priority above all other priorities in life. Or if we were to steal from Berla's advice, when it comes to love, the perfect strategy for every hand you're dealt with in life is love. The perfect strategy for every hand you're dealt with in life is love. So, What is love? If if, if that's the picture, what is love? We say we love certain people. We say we love certain things. We say we love certain hamburgers. You know, we say we love things in life, right? But oftentimes when we think about love, love really is more of a feeling. We we tend to to think of love as something that we just have a a feeling about. I, I feel some love toward this person or toward this moment or toward this food or whatever it may be. But the reality is feelings change. 
So love is, is something that needs to be different than just a feeling. Think of it this way. Outside of your family, who's the first person you remember when you were growing up that said, I love you to you? Was it some little freckled-haired, braces, ponytail little girl in elementary school? I love you. Is that the first time? Yeah. Was it some acne-faced, you know, middle school boy with suede pumas and a swatch watch? He's like, hey, I love you, you know. I mean, we, we've all had that. So the question now is this, where are those people in your life today? The, the first person outside of your family that said, I love you. You know, the statistics are all over the place, but, but I found a number of different ones in my research that, that say about 2% of marriages are high school sweetheart marriages, meaning that, that most marriages are not high school sweetheart marriages. So that means that all of those I love yous that we heard some of the first times, they were really I like yous, right? I mean, they, they weren't the, the deep, you know, loving thing that we're speaking of here. They're, they were mostly I like yous. And if we're really honest, uh, most of the time, those things were more immature lust than it was love or like. So the picture that Paul's painting here is, is giving us some very specific way of thinking about love, and those types of love are not the love that he's talking about. The Bible, using the, the Greek language that we see in the Scripture, would call that type of love eros. It, it means that there is this um, attraction, this physical attraction that you have. That's not the love that Paul is saying put on. Somewhere in America this week, a 10, 11, 12-year-old girl sat down at her desk and she wrote a little note and it had balloons and, and you know, hearts and maybe she found some glitter in her purse to put on there or something, but, but it's this nice, fun little note and she went and she slid it in the locker of her BFF and what do you think that note said? It said, friends forever, love ya, you know? That is affection, friendship, love. The Bible would describe that in the language as phileo. That's, that's this affectionate, hey, you're my friend, I'm your friend kind of love. That's not the kind of love that Paul is saying put on. The love that Paul is saying put on is, is what's known as agape love. It's a, it's a different kind of love. It's not a love that's driven by emotions. It's not a love that's driven by feelings. It's not a love that, that is something that you just say, oh yeah, I feel this way today, so this is how I'm going to act toward this person. No, agape love is an unselfish love. It's been described as a one-way love, meaning that I love you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to keep loving you, whether you love me back or not. That's a, a small picture of what agape love is. But if we want to get a clear picture, we would say that agape love is what ultimately describes the love of God. And how do we know that? Well, if we look at all of creation, past, present, and future, every human being has this one thing swimming around in their spiritual DNA. All of us, everybody at all times. And that thing is sin. You can deny the existence of God, but you cannot deny the existence of of sin in your heart. You can not believe the Bible or ignore the Bible, but you cannot ignore or deny the reality of sin in your heart. Every human being has always had sin. Just, just think about it in, in the simplest terms we can. Whether you're Christian or non-Christian, every single person's heart has experienced one of these things more than once, okay? Just a, a, an easy list here. Envy, jealousy, Rebellion, resisting, resentment, lying, 
and deceit. All of us, every one of us have experienced at least one of those things more than one time. King Solomon, one of the wealthiest men that ever lived and and arguably the wisest man that ever lived, said this in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is not a righteous person on earth who always does good and does not ever sin. It would be irrational and unreasonable for anyone to say that their heart has never had wrongdoing that their heart has never had sin. And if we were to go a little more boldly, it's not just wrongdoing, it's not just sin. It is actually a hatred for God and for God's ways. And that's true for us as Christians too. We don't like to admit it, but we are stuck in moments every day of our lives where we know what God has told us to do, but we're gonna do the opposite. You know, we're going to push against God's ways because this just feels more comfortable or this is what I'd rather do and this is what I would rather post. This is what I would rather say. So we all push against God's ways. And so it is this, this concept of really hating the ways of God or at least hatred toward the ways of God. And how does God respond? How does God respond to basically the world having a hateful attitude toward him? Well, Jesus says, hey, this is God's response. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that anyone and everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal, everlasting life. That's God's response. To a world that hates him and hates his ways, God's response is, one way, I'm gonna love you. Even if you don't love me back, I'm, I'm going to love you. The Apostle Paul described it this way to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, not, not when we were good church-going people, not, not when, when we were good citizens of our country, not when we were making good grades or we were working hard at our job or, or we had earned enough time and years and money to retire. No, when we were dead, hateful, rebellious, I don't want to do your way, God. In that moment, God, when we were dead in our wrongdoings, in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. This is what it means to be saved. And Paul says, by grace, you have been saved. So the world greatly hates God, greatly hates God's ways. And God's response is, I'm going to greatly love the world. I'm going to one way give love, give love, give love. That's agape love. And let me say this, agape love, it makes no sense in our world. It just doesn't. It's not the natural love that exists in this world. It is this profound one-way love from God that shows mercy and grace, endless mercy and grace. And we see this most clearly in Jesus Christ. See, this agape love is what pressed Jesus to give himself up as a substitute for the sin of the world, as a substitute for guilty people like me and guilty people like you. Jesus And this agape love, he gave himself up for us. So if you're looking for a very tangible picture of agape love, just look at the cross and you'll see this 
this hard to define, not, not consistent with the ways of the world love. It's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to imagine. And yet it is unbelievably true and real and authentic and satisfying. So this agape love, it's, it's the kind of love that fuels the Christian life. This is God's design is that our life would be fueled not by uh, eros love, not by uh, phileo love, but by agape love, that we would be fueled by this love, meaning that we would choose to love even when we don't feel like loving. That's the picture, that we would choose to show compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience when we don't feel like it, when we don't want to do it, we choose to love. That is agape love. And how important is it that we live in that kind of love? I mean, come on, it's just a sermon. We're going to go to lunch, agape love, yeah. Okay, great, Dow. come on, let's sing and go get some burgers, you know? No, no, it matters. But why does it matter? Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said this in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Annoying. <laughs> if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing nothing that's strong right a little over the top right Kent Hughes said this it is possible to be compassionate kind gentle humble patient and forgiving and not have love but it is impossible to have love and not have those things you can be on the outside the most impressive Christian in the world and not have love. You can make amazing grades and be an amazing parent or an amazing spouse or an amazing child. You can be amazing at your job. You can make lots of money. You can be wealthy. You can be a fantastic athlete or a very entertaining actor. You can be a lot of different things in this world and lots of people can be impressed with you. Lots of people can like you, but without love, you have nothing. That's, that's the picture that Paul paints. Without the love of God living inside of you, you have nothing. It sounds so mean, and yet the reality is we know it's true because if our heart is not full of love, then, then there's nothing that we're really investing. You know, there's just not. This is a, a, a silly illustration, but just hang with me. So yesterday, uh, I, I had... The I'm going to say the second or maybe tied for first best hamburger I've ever had in my life. Now, best hamburger was Neptune's um, in Boston. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a seafood restaurant, best burger I've ever had. This one yesterday, right there, tied for first or, or maybe second, you know. Here's the thing, though. I enjoyed every juicy, greasy bite of it yesterday. I mean, just, I had, I ended up using three huge cloth napkins before I finished this burger. It was amazing. But you know what? This morning, I get on the scales every morning. And you know what? This morning, 
that burger did not invest in my life the way I thought it was investing in my life, right? I mean, just, you know, less than 12 hours, I think, here, you know? So we have lots of great things in life that it's not that they're bad or evil. It's just they're not the ultimate investment. They aren't always producing what you think they're producing, but love will. This agape love from God, it it produces exactly what it's supposed to produce. On another day, Jesus said when he was teaching what? He said, you need to love God first and most. He said, the greatest thing in the universe that you can do is to love God first and most. And the second greatest thing in the universe that you can do is to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. The greatest things we can do. The math is not difficult on that, right? If you want to love other people, you will need to love God first and most. And if you don't love God first and most, you're gonna have a hard time loving other people, at least with this agape love, the kind of love that's a true, lasting, eternal investment. So, if that's true, how do we go about loving God? Again, Jesus didn't make the math hard. John chapter 14, verse 15 Not long before he went to the cross, he's talking to his disciples and he said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The way we love God is by obeying what God has asked us to do. Now look, none of us are gonna do that perfect, right? I mean, we're not. We're we're not gonna perfectly obey the commandments of God. But it does mean that we have this ability to pursue the commandments of God. So obeying God's commandments means that that we are ultimately also going to hear in those commandments that we need to love one another, that we need to show love toward other people. We need to forge relationships, gospel relationships, defined by the love of God. Loving people, though, is the easiest thing in the world, right? I saw a quote, I think it was from a six-year-old, and they asked them what love was, And they said, if you want, six years old, okay, if you want to find out what love is, learn to love one of your friends that you hate. (laughs) That's that's pretty good, right? Take the person in your life that you're the angriest at, that you're the most discouraged with, that you're the most disappointed with. Love them, and and you'll start understanding love. That's, That's not bad advice. Sam Levinson said this, love at first sight is easy to understand. It's when two people have been looking at each other for years that love becomes a miracle, right? I mean, love at first sight makes sense, you know? I mean, we we understand what that looks like, but but it is the length of time. It's it's loving over time. That's when we begin to see the, for lack of a better word, the the hand of God, the, the beauty of God. I saw something a few years ago that said that, that toy retailers keep an eye on the area divorce rates. And the reason why is because statistics show, according to this article, that, that toy sales go up as divorce rates go up in a community. Why? Here's why. There's two parents and there's eight grandparents and everybody decides to start trying to buy the love of confused children. It's it's a sad reality. And that's not the love God's calling us to. God's not calling us to imitation love. He's not calling us to manipulative love. 
He's calling us to a love that's, that's pure. He's calling us to a love that's, that's unselfish. He's calling us to a love that, that he himself has given us. See, God is calling us to the love that he has given us when he saved us. This, this love of God that he placed in our hearts is something that he has done. It's, it's part of what it means to be saved. And he's called us to take that love and to use it. The love of God, this agape love, is it's not like a, an automatic car, right? Automatic car, what do you do? You get in the car, you put it in drive, and, and you just go. That's all you have to do. No, agape love is, is like a stick shift. First, you have, to, you have to learn how to use it, you know? And then you have to keep using it. It's, it's not automatic. You, you have to keep changing the gears. You have to be engaged with this love. And how do you do that? Jesus told us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The math is not hard. So, so stay engaged with Jesus. If you want to learn how to love, if you want to keep the love of God active, stay engaged with Jesus. Stay engaged with the truth of the Bible. Stay engaged with prayer. Stay engaged with a local church. Stay engaged with other believers this this picture of staying engaged it's so important because again we can't perfectly keep the commandments but we can pursue them we can pursue what it means to know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus and get this we can pursue life in the church we can pursue being a part of a local church being active in a local church we can be around the church we can be worshiping we can be serving we can be doing all the things that are part of the body of Christ because although we are not perfect in commandments we can perfectly pursue we we can keep after it we can keep changing gears and moving in this love and what will that love produce in the church and not just the church what will that love produce in other relationships in life Listen to what Paul says next. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. When I was uh, first out on my own uh, after college, I remember I started exploring lots of uh, uh, cooking adventures. I was trying to, to learn how to cook a lot more in life. And, and I remember the first time I made brownies. I forgot to put the eggs in. But I went ahead with the whole process, you know, and so I'd, you know, pull this, this whatever out of the oven you know and and I'm like all right hey and I'm again I'm just looking at it thinking nothing hey I just made some brownies you know this is great and so I start trying to cut them and it was just a crumbled mess it was just a blob it was terrible why because I forgot the eggs see the eggs that that's what holds everything together the picture here of why Paul says put on love is because he's saying love is what holds everything together. This agape love of God is what holds everything together. It holds things together at home, at school, at work, at church, everywhere else. It is the love of God. It is designed to hold things together. So if we're not putting on love, we will not have a chance at good spiritual brownies. It's just, it's not going to happen. We have to be putting on love. God has been very kind to me and my family over the last 30 years. We, we have uh, loved every single church that we've served, um, loved the people, been so thankful for everything. And, and I, I'm just going to share some comments I've heard over the last 30 years at, at several of my churches that I can remember being in those conversations. And I remember, the, for lack of a better word, the, the truth and the false. 
uh, had a deacon one time, he said this to me. He said, before I came to this church, I always heard that it was an uppity church and it really didn't love people. Well, see, that was the gossip in town. And truthfully, some of it was probably true, you know, but it wasn't the real truth of the church. So as a young man, he had heard that, but then a little later in life, he came to the church. He started forging relationships in small groups, in life groups, and in these one-on-one relationships, and things started changing because, again, there cannot be 596 people that form a relationship with me. That's chaos, crazy, and impossible. No, the, the church, we, we are supposed to form relationships with one another, these individual relationships and these small groups and these life groups. And, and that's what happened to my friend David. You know, and that's why he ultimately became a deacon at our church because he went from hearing the gossip in the community to coming in and saying, my sleeves are rolled up. I will not complain. I will not criticize. I will not be a problem. I'm here to be a help. What can we do for the kingdom? And as he said, his affections on the gospel, God started building relationships with him and other people in the church. And God used those relationships as the bond of unity in the church. Another couple, I remember uh, talking with them one day, they said, we had always heard that this was kind of a snobby church, that it was not very friendly and loving to outsiders. But then they came and they got involved and they started forging those relationships, those gospel relationships with other people. And they realized that the gossip that they heard maybe was a little bit true, but it wasn't really true. And they began to experience the work of the gospel in those one-on-one relationships. And then I remember talking to somebody in a community one time. Uh, these, are, these are three different churches and, and not, not, not this church. Uh, that'll be for a later sermon. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, this is what the person in the community told me. Oh, that church, they don't love people. They've just got a bunch of mean elders and a bunch of mean deacons. That, that was their thought of the church, you know. But see, over time, that person became connected with our church. And, and they saw that although some of that was true, they began to, to build those relationships, to forge those relationships with other believers, not other gossips, not other criticizers. There, there, there are those in every single church. Those are not where you forge your relationships. You, you forge your relationships with people that have their eyes set on the gospel, their affections set on God, and you begin to see God working, and God begins to pull all of these gospel people together, and the love that's being shown in these relationships, individually and smallly, these things are what God uses to make up the whole body of Christ. He begins to forge the beauty of the gospel across the whole congregation. That's what God does through the gospel. Look, there's no perfect church. This is not, it will never be. There will always be problems. There will always be difficulties in the church because every single one of us are all sinners. So it's never going to be anything perfect. But there is this picture of pursuing God. There's this picture of pursuing Jesus, of, of putting on the love, and it's putting on that love that help us, helps us conquer what we lack. That, that's so important. The more we put on the love of Christ, it's the love of Christ that helps us overcome and conquer those things that we lack. And in his kindness, he begins to build unity. Because here's the thing. As Christians... We have, more than anyone else, the ability to impact this church 
and this community. Why? Because we have the love of Christ. We have the love of Christ. That's, that's not a small thing. We have the love of Christ. Your, your lost friends, my lost friends, they don't have the love of Christ. People who don't believe in God in the community, they don't have the love of Christ. We have the love of Christ. That's what we have to take into the community. So again, let me just hurt our feelings a little bit. How much are we taking that into the community? How much are we taking the love of Christ in the community? Think of your conversations with people this week at the breakfast joint, in the mall, in the coffee shop, wherever you may be, or maybe even in your own house, and maybe even among spouses and kids. How much is the love of Christ a part of our conversation? And how much are we so angry at the government and so angry at the pandemic and so angry at doctors and so angry at preachers and so angry at teachers and so angry at everybody else in the world that even as Christians, rarely does anyone hear the love of Christ from our lives. We can impact this community because we have the love of Christ. And I don't mean to float some crazy prophetic word, but if you want to impact the world, you have the love of Christ. I have the love of Christ. God designed the love of Christ to impact the entire world. We have that. Let's use it. Let's, let's put it on. It's, it's there for us to wear. And it doesn't just change the lives of those around us. It'll change our lives too. It really will. Wednesday night, we had a cookout with the youth, a little back-to-school cookout, and we were over at the Wright's house, and uh, we put um, uh, folding chairs and folding tables out in the driveway, and Rick pulled all his 75 grills out and, and just, you know, grilled and, and cooked stuff for us, and, and we had two sets of uh, cornhole uh, boards, and, and so we had a, a big uh, uh, Olympic uh, cornhole match with everybody that was there, and so, so we played cornhole, and... Uh, I, uh, Brian, did you win? You won. Brian, who? You and who's on your team? I forgot. Oh yeah, Caden. Yeah, Brian and Caden. They they won. Uh, they won the championship. Um, it's just great. It was fun. So everybody, you know, we go over and get our food, uh, and and everybody sits down at the table. And, and, and I'm not lying. That that was about it. Okay. We grilled food. We we had a cornhole competition, and then everybody sat down at the table with their food. We had I don't know maybe about 20 of our youth there. And, and it was just overwhelming. They just sat after they ate and just talked. And I, I remember like looking around going, who are these people? You know, they, they just sat and talked. Like nobody jumped up from the table. Nobody was trying to run off to the next thing. They, they just sat and talked. I mean, I never sit down. You know, I didn't sit down that night. I stood up at the end of our table and talked. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm not a sitter downer, but, but they, they just sat down. And they just talked. And, and I mean, it was, it was not like 10 minutes. I mean, it was like maybe 30, 40, I don't know, 45 minutes. It was just a long period of time had gone by. And our kids were just sitting there over hot dogs and hamburgers and chicken thighs and chips and watermelon, just forging relationships, you know? And, and the simplicity of that has such an impact and can have such an impact on, on our whole community and on our church and in the world. The, the simplicity of that. So that's why we made a pitch earlier about life groups. 
You know, we, we have our Wednesday night life groups starting up week after next. Um, we have Sunday morning life groups. Uh, we have some life groups that meet other times. Hey, and if you want to, if you want to start a life group, you know, get get in touch with Tammy. If you if you have another time, we we would love to to pray with that with you and and look at another way that we can do something like that. But but these life groups are so important for the overall unity and health of our church. They're not just Sunday school. They're not just Bible study. They are groups of people that are interacting together in a smaller way, in a more serious way. And that is how God builds his church. We see that even in Acts chapter 2 in the earliest. It's, it's the simplicity of them meeting together. So we really want to encourage you to find a life group, you know, not as, a, as anything other than just an encouragement to your life. Just something that, that we hope would, would help you find a place so that you could be a part of something, as the saying goes, bigger than yourself. But again, let me go back to Burla. See, Burla's cribbage advice, it matters with life groups. And here's why. Because the most perfect strategy for dealing with anything in life is this agape love from God. And, and that's why we meet as a church. It's why we gather here. It's why we have these small groups. Because God, by his design, through his love, has chosen to build the church up, bond the church, create unity through his love that we share with one another. So forge some groups, forge some relationships. You may say, well, I mean, I don't know. That sounds good. Love, love, love. Okay, whatever. But it matters. It matters. There's an old legend that says when the Apostle John was, was much older, he was so weak, they had to physically carry him in to the church meetings. And he wouldn't be able to stand up and preach and do anything. But, but at the end of the service, they would always help him up so that he could give a word to the church. And over and over and over again, the legend says that John said the exact same thing every time they helped him up. He said, little children, love one another. And the people at the church, they, they got tired of it. They did. They were like, ah, again with the love. Okay, love, love, love. Got it. Okay. And they got so frustrated that, that the leaders one time asked him, they said, you know, Brother John, why, why all the love? Why, why do you say that every single, why don't you say something different? And as the legend goes, this was John's response. Because it is the commandment of the Lord and the observation of it alone is sufficient. In other words, love is sufficient. Love is enough. This unselfish agape love from God, it is enough for the church. It's enough for the church in COVID and out of COVID. It's enough for the church when the government is going to hell or when the government's everything we want it to be. The agape love for God is enough for my life and your life and the life of the church and the life of anyone that turns to him, no matter what the hand that we've been dealt with. The love of God is enough. It's sufficient. That's why John said it every week. And what he was really saying was this, what? He said, well, I say it because it's what Jesus said. And if Jesus said it, it's enough. So do it. <laughs> just, just do it. 
the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let us forge relationships for his glory and our good. And let it be said that when someone hears about Holland Avenue Baptist Church, that we would be known by our love, not by our preaching, not by our music, not by our building, not by our sanctuary, not by our fish fries or our chili cook-offs or anything else that we do, although all of that is fantastic. But they would know us, not just by our love, but by his love in us. It's the perfect strategy for any hand we're dealt with. Put on the love of God.